0: I do not know any greater need for us as humans than the need for encouragement and joy. I mean, look all around you. Look at this world. Full of bad news and sad faces. People always dwelling on that which is joyless. And that's because of sin. Read read the latest edition of the newspaper. Listen to, to radio or TV talk shows. For every joyful account you hear, you're going to hear dozens of accounts of bad news. Ours is a world of disappointments. You can wish and hope. Young people can grow up and say, I'm going to find that joy. But Jesus said He gives us His joy. And the world cannot know His joy. And I know there's people who say, boy, the church says that because it wants to put a hook in you and hold on to you. Well, the thing is, the church didn't say it. Just read John. Read 15, chapter 15, 16, and 17. Look at the relationship Jesus tells his immediate followers he wants them to have. And one of those things is joy. And I know some would say no, our greatest need isn't, isn't joy. Our greatest need is to overcome sin. Come on. Joy is a byproduct of overcoming sin. There are people who know Jesus Christ as Lord and they're going to spend eternity with God the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. They have very little joy. We need joy. If you have your your worship handout, if you turn to the page where the blanks has the date on it, look at that first, first statement I have there with that first blank. Look what I wrote. The longer I live, This is me. The more convinced I become that the most magnetic quality of the Christian is not faith. I hope that shakes some of you. As much as I think faith is important. Not mercy. I think we're a world that needs to see God's mercy through our behavior. Or courage. Or loyalty. Or even love. And yet the Bible says the greatest is love but joy. And love that really works brings joy. Even in the midst of difficulty and suffering. I think the the most magnetic thing about our personality as Christians ought to be that we spread joy. And today... We're going to talk about that as we look in the Scriptures. We live in a world full of joylessness. Come on, families, moms, dads, husbands, wives, parents, children. Joylessness. Now, I'm not saying everybody. People go to work. Joylessness. People get a paycheck. Is that all? Joylessness. People go out and buy something. Joylessness. It doesn't last very long. Our world is just flooded with it. Even Christians assuming things about Christians brings joylessness. Can you believe that? Listen to me. Life is a grind. Genesis chapter 3 tells us it's a grind because man chose to think of himself. Sin. Self-centeredness. And self-centeredness will rob you of joy. Living and loving like Jesus will bring His joy into your life. And if you will live and love like Jesus and that joy comes forth, and that's one of the evidences of joy, of of living and loving like Jesus is joy, it will become contagious and it will attract people. Joy. We're going to conclude our two-year journey in, in, in the book of Luke today. And the Bible says this. Look on the screen. In the first chapter of Luke, Luke, look what the Bible says. This is Luke's own words. This is why he said he wrote this book, the book of Luke. It's one of the reasons why I used it instead of one of the other Gospels. As I've said before, I prefer the Gospel of John more than any of the Gospels. But Luke wrote, he said, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that had been fulfilled among us. In other words, about Jesus. And we know that. We can read Matthew, Mark, Luke. Mark most likely was already written before Luke wrote his Gospel. Verse 2 says, they used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. In other words, people are writing about Jesus, not making up a story, a myth, trying to write something that pleases people. They're asking people. They're asking those early followers of Jesus, the disciples, tell us about your time with Jesus. Verse 3, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, look what Luke says, I also have decided to write a careful account for you most honorable Theophilus so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. And so what what, did I do? I started a series, checking out Jesus. That's all it's been about. 24 chapters, 76 sermons. 76 sermons. A little bit over three sermons per chapter. And all we've done is check out Jesus. We've checked out His lifestyle. We've checked out His, His words. We've checked out what He's said, what He's done. We've heard Him speak to us directly. We've heard Him talk about what it means to follow Him. All we've done is check out Jesus. And why? So that you could know that what you believe is the truth. Just what Luke wrote to Theophilus. That's why we've given this time. And now at the end of the letter, Luke reminds of this friend of his, Theophilus, of the joy that believing in the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, and he wants Theophilus to know he should have that joy. Because I'm going to tell you, folks, to spend two years in one book and not find joy at the end of it, it's to waste your time. We should have found it going through it. And Luke wants his friend to know that if he believes in Jesus Christ, it should bring you to a place of great joy. Well, if you have your Bibles, like you open to Luke, the last chapter, 24th chapter, we're going to start at verse 35, we're going to finish verse 53. Okay? Unless a terrible storm comes and blows the roof off and we have to preach it next week. Okay? If you have those New Testaments, we're page 76. By the way, there's New Testaments on those tables. If you want any of those New Testaments, take them because we're finished with those New Testaments. Okay? And so you can just take them. Just go over and take them if you want to give them to someone. Okay? Before we get into Luke, I'd like you to look in your worship handout to the center inside page. The top article. Easter Sunday, one worship. Don't want you to miss that. There's only one worship service, one worship experience next week at 10 o'clock. No 4.30 worship experience, okay? And so you want to make note of that, okay? Remember Easter, two Sundays, Easter and Christmas, people are open to invitations. People who do not go to church are open to invitations. So you want to invite folks who you know to go to church. If they're family or friends, if they're not attending church regularly, then you invite them to come and be with you. Come and sit with you. Tell them you'll buy them a bag of popcorn and a bottle of water. See? But you invite them to come. You may be surprised. See, all God wants us to do is make the invitation. It's His responsibility to bring the conviction. I'm not in the conviction business. That's the Holy Spirit's business. My business is just to talk about it. And that's your business. So you might think about it. And by the way, who you should invite are people who are sad and always down. Because the sermon is going to be, you can see a title there, Why Are You So Angry? And if you know anybody who is that way, you ought to invite them to come. And the place where angry people don't want to be usually is in a church service or worship service Hearing about God. But it's Easter Sunday and there's a good chance they'll accept it. So take a chance. Take a chance. Invite someone. Look at the article just below that. Come celebrate with a family dunk party Sunday, May 4th. First Sunday in May, we're going to have a dunk party. We're going to baptize people. We're going to dunk you under the water. We're going to put you in here, okay? And so we invite you, if you've not been baptized... Every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, should be baptized by immersion. Not touching with water or sprinkling, baptized by immersion. The Bible teaches that. That's the only baptism that is mentioned in the Scriptures. The Greek word for baptism means to put under. There's a word for sprinkling. It's never used for baptism. See, it's not our church is correct and other churches are wrong that sprinkle. It's just that the New Testament word for baptism means to put under. It's like dying, a, if this shirt was red and I wanted, I mean white, and I wanted it to be blue. The word for baptism in the New Testament, in the Greek meaning, is the word for dying clothes. They would get a tub. They would put water in it. They would get the elements that would powder that water and make it blue. They'd stir it up. And then they'd take a the white shirt and they'd stick it in there and they'd poke it down and they'd pull it up and they look transformed from white to blue. Baptism. The book of Romans tells us is the indication to tell people you've been transformed because Jesus is Lord. Every believer is to do that. Satan will tell you you don't need to. God says you should. Satan will tell you it's not important and Jesus said, I'll set the example. Satan will tell you no, but he's the father of lies. Jesus will say yes, you should be baptized by immersion. He speaks truth. And so if you haven't been baptized by immersion, I invite you, let me know. May 4th. We'd be glad to do that. I'll talk with you before that time. Share with you what we're doing. And so I want to give that invitation to you. And then let me say yesterday, thank you for those who came to the community loving. Appreciate that. We probably gave out, I want to guess, around 30 hams. So you can imagine walking up to those thirty people, and the reason we do it, we try to do it surprising. We try not really when we write about it. That's inform you. We'd rather you don't tell anybody we're doing it. We had two vans park in the, as I understand, park in the parking lot where we met, and then followed our people where they went, and then got out and wanted to ask for hams. Say, and what happens there is just a lot of people take the hams, and there's no relationship. And we do it this way. It'd be so easy to give away thirty hams. All we have to do is write a note. People drive up and they're gone. We want our people to interact with people. I want you to feel what it's like to encourage and make somebody feel good by giving them something. Because every day you can do that at work. You realize every day you could give something. It's not money. It's not a ham. And then in the world you can do that. You can go watch a ball game and you can give something to somebody. And we want our DNA. We're not missional people unless we're missional where we live, where we work, and where we play. And so this just teaches us to be aware that we can make somebody feel good. That they can know God loves them. That's why we love them. And So I, I, I just thank you for that and for, for being a part of that. So before we get into Luke, everybody should be there. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen. Let me just lead us in prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, I thank You for this time. I thank You for the ability to be here. Gee, God, thank You for that. And Father, I thank You for the tool You've given us to, to build our worship around, and that is Your Word. And Father, I thank You that many of the songs we sing, that those who wrote it have, have taken the words right out of Scripture. And that, Father, we're singing Scripture statements. and Father, I thank You for what will take place in the remaining time that we're here. But God, You've watched us from the beginning of this worship experience, from the very first time when Tim prayed and he said, help us to get a glimpse of You. And Father, let us get that glimpse. just as Tim mentioned about you. Let us see you in your reality and see your love. Love that is unconditional. And help us that our love would become like yours. Agape love. Unconditional love. Love that is given not because the people we give it to are good, (laughs) because none of us are, Father. Help us to get a glimpse of you and see love that is given simply because it's love. And it's unconditional. Help us to see the people around us who maybe we're struggling in loving. In catching a glimpse of you, we give love to them. That Father, in giving that love, just like your love does, that we might spread. A little joy. Father, we ask these things so that our lives and our actions would honor our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're in the 35th verse. We're going to continue. The two people that were on the road to Emmaus and then went back to Jerusalem. We talked about that last week. Well, 35 says, Then the two from Emmaus they're back in Jerusalem with the disciples. Told their story how Jesus had appeared to them. In other words, they're saying, we saw Jesus alive. They're telling him, Jesus talked to us. Jesus explained things to us. We saw Jesus break bread. Wow! Jesus was there. And then He disappeared. And as they were walking along the road, see, they're saying, Jesus is not a vision. We're walking along. You see, we weren't walking and He's a ghost just floating along. Casper the ghost. We were walking and Jesus were walking. And it wasn't that we didn't see his, his lips move. We saw His lips move. We heard Him talk. He wasn't a ghost. He was a person. He was just like us. He's relating to us. That's what they're conveying. And it says, And how they had recognized Him as He was breaking bread. In other words, Jesus was not a vision again. He had a mouth. He ate food. He drank juice. That's what they're conveying. This was a real resurrected bodily person, Jesus Christ. Look at 36. And just as they were telling it, Jesus Himself suddenly, sudden, was suddenly standing there among them. Bam! Now listen to me. When they, when they reacted upon their relationship with Jesus, they're on the road to... Re- Emmaus, they were doubting. They thought He was the Messiah, they said. He appears to them. They recognize who He is. He is the risen Lord. He is the Messiah. He talks to them in Scripture. We're going to see Jesus use the Scripture. I talked to you about that. The very first thing Jesus did after He rose from the dead is He got with some people and had a Bible study. That's why connect groups, home groups are so important. And some of us, we just say, no, all I do is worship. No, we've got to do a Bible study. And we're going to see in a little bit He's going to do another Bible study. But He does this Bible study with them and they realize He breaks bread with them and they realize this is Jesus. And what do they do? They react appropriately from their relationship of understanding Jesus is raised from the dead and instead of going on to Emmaus, remember I told you they're going the wrong direction, they turn around, they go back to Jerusalem with people who could help them understand more because that's where Jesus is going to, to be working a little bit. That, that afternoon, this, this is basically Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. And they go back. And what do they do? They talk about Jesus. They tell about their experience. You and I got to remember that because it's easy to get going in the wrong direction get in going in my direction my confusion my uncertainty they react appropriately to the relationship they have with Christ and what happens when they're there bam Jesus appears in the midst of these two guys and the 12 the 11 disciples and Maybe a few other followers. And what does Jesus say? You see it there? Peace be with you, He said. Why does He have to say that? Because you see, they're having the same feelings that the men on the road to Emmaus had. Even though the men on the road to Emmaus said some ladies told us that he, the grave was empty and the disciples ran to it and the grave was empty. And then they had this relationship with Jesus. Now, Jesus comes to these guys, these two guys, but these disciples, and bam! he's rose from the dead. And what He say? Come on. Find peace in the midst of your uncertainty. Now, they're full of uncertainty because if we read in the 20th chapter of John, it says when Jesus appeared at this time, they made sure the door was locked to the place where they were. It says because they were afraid that those people who killed Jesus was going to come after them. And I want to call attention to that, okay? Because you can read that real quick. What I want you to understand is sometimes you get fearful, sometimes you get full of uncertainty and you're afraid. I don't know if I got enough money. I don't know if, if, if my love relationship is going to continue. I don't know if I can, if, if, if I can forgive. I don't know if, 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 if I can be the kind of person I'm supposed to be. And you lock your doors. Because you're afraid. You're afraid to be encountered. You're afraid of what's going to come your way. That's where they are. They're behind locked doors. We can read that so quick and miss that. They're afraid of that which, which assaults everything that God intended. It's going to assault them. And Jesus comes. And He says, first thing, fellas, gals, have peace. Have peace. He offers them assurance to minds that are clouded with uncertainty. Well, look at 37. It goes on. But the whole group, but the whole group was startled and frightened. Here it is. See, you think I make this up. Thinking. What were they thinking? They were seeing a ghost. See, because who could believe a dead person rising from the dead? They thought they were seeing a ghost. And Jesus knows that. And please, that's understandable. Try to share the gospel with somebody. Tell them that Christ died on the cross, lay in the grave three days, and rose from the dead. They first think, now that's that's impossible. And then if they move to it, they say, What did he rise in spirit? And see, that's what the Mormons believe. The Mor I'm not the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jesus rose in spirit, not body. They're wrong. Muslims believe Jesus didn't really die. They're wrong. You try to tell somebody Jesus died laid in the grave, three days come back from the dead? They say, it's hard to believe. Was He sort of like a, a spirit, a ghost? And see, that's what they're thinking. That's why I'm not surprised and it doesn't bother me that people think that. Because that's what happened there that three days after His death. The first day of the resurrection from people who heard Him teach. Look at 38. He says, why are you frightened? He asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Now look what he says. See, he's going to say, look at my body. Look at my body. You and I can't go back. You can't go back to year, whatever it is, 33, 36, somewhere around there when Jesus rose from the dead. You and I can't go back to that room. You and I can't look at His body. Just like, like... You can't go back and look at your great-great-great-grandmother. You can see pictures, but you don't know she existed. Except somebody tells you about her. Her story. I didn't know any of my grandpas or grandmother but one. See, I'm the baby of those kids all born. Fourteen kids. I only had one grandmother that survived to 84. The others conked out. Probably the grandkids drove them crazy. They're not like kids today. See, kids don't drive grandparents crazy today. But you see, this, 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 he's saying, why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. What's he wanting to look at? He wants him to see the scars. He's not hiding it. For all eternity, I think those scars are going to be there. Listen to me. You will not carry your scars for all eternity because He carries His scars. But some of you have been hurt by someone. It is as if they literally drove nails into your emotional pain. And you're carrying the scars. And you have very little joy in relationship with those people who have hurt you. And you need to touch the scars of Jesus once again spiritually. You need to let His scars heal your scars. You see, confess sin is to make me free from unforgiveness and holding on to the wrong other people do. Jesus says, I'm not a ghost Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's actually me. And I would recommend you underline the rest of verse 39 after the word really me. Look what he says. Touch me. Because when you read this passage, this is why Jesus is appearing. This is very important in this section. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost. See, the original witnesses that were there, Jesus said, touch me. Make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts Don't have bodies as you see that I do. Jesus walks on legs. Jesus talks with His mouth. Jesus eats with His mouth. Jesus has arms they can touch. Jesus has feet they can touch. Jesus says, make sure. Because it's these guys that are going to go talk about Him. Verse 40 says, As He spoke, He showed them His hands and feet. Jesus is saying, here's the scars. Give me some food, let me eat. Look at the next blank on your worship hangout. The resurrection of Jesus had never happened before, and folks, it will never happen again. Jesus' resurrection is unique. There's not another one like it in history. In human history. Get on the internet, they'll tell you. Those mythological gods, I've said this before, that have no following today, and they weren't even, in the sense, humanized. Mythological. And yet people want to say, well, Jesus just took after them. Jesus was a real human being. Jesus has people who have followed Him, as I told you, for all these years. Remember? Remember what I told you? More songs have been sung about Jesus than any other person who ever existed? Why? What is it about Him? Over these other so-called religious things. Jesus has more pictures painted about Him than any other person ever lived? What? Why? And there are more books written about Jesus than any other person ever lived. Those are truths of human witness. Remember I told you to go to the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C.? Type in the name Jesus Christ. I don't know, 14,000, 17,000, I believe, books will appear. Titles of books will appear. The resurrection of Jesus is unique. One of a kind. Nothing like it. We just don't talk about it. We just don't look at the evidence. And here these guys are, behind locked doors, afraid that they're going to be arrested, afraid they're going to be hurt. And Jesus comes and bam! He shows Himself. And He says, and they think He's a ghost. And that scares them. I know some of you are so brave, a ghost appears it wouldn't bother you. I, t- I tell my wife it's not a ghost. I said, man, if there were aliens... I wish one of the spaceships would land in my backyard. She's always heard me. She says, you're crazy. I'd terrify her. She'd run and get the shotgun. I'd run and get the ham. (laughs) But if a ghost appeared, it'd probably scare me. Jesus appears and He says, I'm not a ghost. I'm a real person. Rose from the dead. Look at 41. It goes on. Still, they stood there in disbelief. That's why don't give up on your your family member. Don't give up on your friend that doesn't believe in Jesus yet. Remember, the thing that is going to make the story powerful is that they begin to set the example of living and loving like Jesus. That becomes the power. The joy in the midst of so much bad in this world. Still they stood there in disbelief filled with filled with joy and wonder. And then he asked him, do you have anything here to eat? There you go. He's going to prove ghosts don't need food. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Jesus is not a vision. He's not a ghost. He's He's a human. He's a body. Now, his body is not like yours and I's in that he can pass through things. He just came into that room. It's his resurrected body. But they are touching Him. They are feeding Him. They are talking to Him. I can say they're probably hugging Him. Jesus is very much alive in the body. And they were so impacted. The Bible said this. Look on the screen. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, this is 25 years later, Jesus was seen by more than 500 of His followers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have died. 25 years later, the believers are saying there's over 500 people who have seen Jesus. 25 years later, anybody who would read that, listen, this is being written in the area and put out in the area where people don't love Jesus Christ. And so people who say, I can't not believe that, could go and find out who are, tell me a couple of those people who saw Him. Bill and Mary over here. They'd go talk to Bill and Mary. See, if this was a myth, they're not going to give this kind of evidence to somebody and say, tell me who some of those 500 people are. Because it's only 25 years later. Back to Luke 24, verse 44. And then He, Jesus said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about Me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now let me stop. Listen. Listen. Some people are having worship today. They're having worship today and they're getting lost. Listen. They're denying the reality of the bad in the world and they're getting lost. They're getting lost, they say, in their relationship with God. And they may be going through all kinds of contortions and for however long they worship, they lose themselves in that and they say, wasn't it good here? And then they walk out into that world knocks them over again. Now these guys are hiding. They're full of uncertainty. Jesus comes to them, fills them with the Holy Spirit, slings them in the Spirit, speaks in unknown tongues, has them all in ecstasy, and they are full of joy. doesn't happen here. I want to warn you about something. Emotionalism without knowledge tends to create empty vessels in a bad world. And we've just got to stay inside where all the emotionalism is or else we say, I don't feel like God's close to me. Look what Jesus does. Frighten people of a world that's hard. I think unemployment would have been about 22% at that time in their location. Twice ours is. Children are used as playthings. If you speak the wrong word, the government could slay you. Most, not most, many people, because they can't get a job, have to sell themselves into debt slavery. Taxes are unbelievable. Taxes in government and taxes at the temple. Did you realize they go to the temple and they have to pay a tax? Or they can't even worship God. Some of you say, oh, throw of like our church because Connection believes in tithing. Well, see, we're no different. Listen, if you don't like tithing and your reason is because you say Connection just wants your money, then I'm going to say this. You come to Connection, but you give your tithe to another church on a regular basis. And see if it's really the problem where you're giving the money to. Or is it the problem you just don't want to give God the tithe. See, I don't want your money. I want your heart. That's what God wants. And so if you think we're just telling you that sometimes but we want your money, go give it to the church down the road. Come to Connection. Prove to God that the money isn't the issue. Prove to yourself that it is. You see, these people are there, and Jesus has to help them, and He's appeared to them. They're having; they should be having a spiritual, out of this world, emotional experience. That's why I said I can't believe they're not even hugging Him. They, they, they got it. Wow! Yeah, I want to touch again. Fifteen minutes later, half hour. Can can, can I touch your scar again? Can I touch your side? See, I'm a doubter. I, I have to look again and again. What does Jesus do? Please don't miss this. Because this is what gives you power to go into this world that is going to beat you down and rob you of your joy. Look what it says He did. Then He said, when I was you before, I told you that everything written about Me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And look what 45 says. And then He opened their minds to understand the Scripture. You know what Jesus did? He did what He did with the men on the road to Emmaus again. He did what He did with them before He died because they, 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 they lost concentration on it. When something happens to you, when somebody betrays you, when something in your family hurts you, when this world beats you down, when, when, when a pastor lets you down, you forget what you learned over the years sometimes. And you've got to look again. And Jesus does with these disciples what He had already done with them before and what He did with the road He opened up the book of Genesis. And He says, listen guys, this verse, this verse. Genesis speaks about me. He opened up the book of Exodus. That's their Scripture. And He said, listen guys, this verse, this verse, this verse. Exodus speaks about me. He opened up the book of Deuteronomy. And He said, listen guys, Deuteronomy says this and this and this. Deuteronomy speaks of me. Now listen, then He opened up the prophets. He opened up Isaiah. And he said, listen guys, Isaiah said this, and this, and this, and Isaiah spoke to me. And then he opened up the Psalms. Listen, the Psalms. And he began quoting Psalms to them. And he said, the Psalms are speaking to me. I love this. You get on the internet and they'll say, Psalms are taken out of context. You can be reading one of the Psalms and a statement about Jesus written right in the middle. And somebody says, "What well, doesn't mean that. But Jesus is telling them, it does mean that. See, Jesus is using Scripture to build their faith. And there's nothing that can build your faith except the Word of God. And we tend to want it to be built somewhere else. If you don't believe that you can teach your child if they're in athletics, your boy, your girl, to be a great, great athlete... And only in the game will they find their excitement. And if something happens and they can't experience the game, they lost the thrill of their potential to be able to catch a ball, to throw a ball, to have coordination. You see, because the foundation of athletics is that you developed your potential of playing an instrument, but something happens and you can't play that instrument so you say, I can't enjoy it anymore. But you've got to recall that God allowed you to experience your potential. And the Scriptures remind us of our potential that God talked about. And in this case, about Jesus Christ. And if I don't get into the Scriptures and I always make it emotional, I'm always getting high and falling off the cliff. Getting high and falling off the cliff. Getting high and falling off the cliff. Scripture helps me stay level. Sure, I have my fall-down times. Scripture picks me up, not my emotions. Scripture is what brings me back. Not me. If it's me, folks, or if it's the pastor, or if it's the worship service working you up, listen, it's not God. Scripture is what picks us up. Scripture is what makes us strong. That's why some of us Hard as we try, we come to church and we try, we can't say, hold up, can't keep a hold of it. Because we refuse to give the time to learn the scriptures. He opened the scriptures so they could understand. See, emotional uncertainty will always come to the human being, because this world knocks us down. My frail body will pull me down, and I need to have the scriptures. Because it's the knowledge that gives me the confidence about truth. You tell somebody, somebody says, I want to do this, and you tell them they can do it. And they say, oh no, I can't do it. And you've got all this knowledge how they can do it. And you say, you can do it. And they say, no, I can't, because they don't have the knowledge. If they gain the knowledge, they're starting to tell people, you can do this. You see, emotion poses toward God. I feel saddened by my sin. I need forgiveness. I'm walking my, wrong, my road the wrong way. I know things aren't working out. And so I get the knowledge I need to repent. Emotion will pull us to God. Sometimes knowledge keeps us close to God. And Jesus helps him gain this knowledge of their relationship with Him. How? Through the Bible. That's why we use the Bible so much. Verse 46, And He said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah... He's going to remind them again. And remember, I already showed you how he told them this before, but now he's telling them after, this. yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. In other words, what God said long ago about me is happening in your presence. 47, it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations. Now, now listen, he's going, to, he's going to make sort of a change now, because he's going to he's giving them knowledge. This is Jesus. And He's going to move to what they are to do with their knowledge. What do you do with the knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life? Do you only seek emotional experiences? Good times? He says, He says, It was also written that this message, 47, would be proclaimed in the authority of His name to all nations. In other words, He's saying, listen, the knowledge that you're gaining from Me this relationship you see me raised from the dead there's a purpose for it it is that this will start going out to all people listen it will go out to americans though i know america isn't there it will go out to canadians it will go out to europe it will go out to people of the japanese heritage some of you don't like japanese people cuz maybe your dad or your grandfather was killed it will go out to vietnam some of you don't like Vietnamese because maybe a family member was killed. It will go out to the Afghans. Some of you maybe don't like those people because someone you love was killed. In other words, he says the purpose of this is that this authority of his name will go out to all nations. Listen, it will go out to the worst sinners. To the immoral. To the, to the liars. To the abusers. He says, beginning in Jerusalem, in other words, right where you live, guys, it's to start right here. I'm going to stop here and I'm going to say this. For some of you, it's right there at home. You've got to to forgive that mate. And if that mate's no more your mate, you've got to forgive that ex-mate. How? Why? Why? The authority of who Jesus is in your life. You have to forgive your parent. But you don't understand. Dad abandoned me. He literally left home. Maybe he didn't leave home, but he didn't spend any time with you. Or mom abandoned you. Or maybe mom took dad's side and she didn't take your side. It begins right there at home. Why? Because you emotionally are ready. know in the authority of Jesus' name, you know what the Scripture says and it talks about forgiveness. It talks about love. Agape love. Unconditional love. Tim talked about it. You see how it's plugging in? Because it's what will bring joy back into your life and the lives of others. In Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sin for all who repent. 48, you are witnesses of all these things. In other words, I'm telling you this, guys, because here in the first century, you are to begin talking about it. And I'm telling you this, and I'm not Jesus, because here in the 21st century, you are to begin talking about it. And it's not because it's the emotional thing, it's because it's a scriptural thing. It's not because you want to or I want to, it's because in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ who is Lord and Lord and King of kings, you are to do it. Why? Look at His scars. Look at His scars for you. Those scars are for the people that you need to pass on His love. We are not just to do good deeds, give out hams, say, hello, how you doing? We are to talk about Jesus. Where we live. Where we work. Where we play. 49 says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit. Now look, He's moving. There's so much. I tell you, this could have been probably three sermons, I'm telling you. His appearance to the disciples, and then moving into the world as witnesses, and then what the Holy Spirit is doing. He says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power from heaven. Now listen, power. Power. You want to know what that power is for? Read the book of Acts. Don't read one chapter or three chapters. Don't read one chapter in Acts. Don't read two chapters in 1 Corinthians. You want to know the power of the Holy Spirit? Read the book of Acts. Took an upside down world and turned it right took the truths of the Scriptures about Jesus Christ into a difficult world and began making a difference. What the church has done, the church has went emotional and the church has kept the truths in here and we're not taking it out there. And the world is turning upside down now. Not right side up. It says, And I will send the Holy Spirit just my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power from heaven. Paul, I mean, Luke writes about that in the beginning of the book of Acts. other words, the power behind us sharing about Jesus as the Holy Spirit. The power isn't me. I don't empower myself to share Jesus. I don't even empower you to share Jesus. If I am a good mentor to you as pastor or as a mentor friend, it's because I pull you to the Scriptures. And in the Scriptures you find the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to change the way you think. You you allow the power of the Holy Spirit to tell you you are transformed. You can choose what God wants. I am not the one who empowers you. Any church that claims to have the power to empower you has denied who God is and that church has become God. I know for some of you that may be uncomfortable because we've been taught to work this spirit up and we don't. Spirit works us up. And the power behind what these guys are to do in taking to the world this message about Jesus is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, if it's through us, if you are empowering yourself here again, you're always going up and then falling off on the cliff. Going up, I'm excited about Jesus and falling. You see, when we're the one who empowers, we get not only, listen, disgusted, We give up. When it's the Holy Spirit, we say to our mate, you know, I need to keep going. Because that's what God wants. We say to our family, I need to keep going. Whatever going is in the power of the Holy Spirit, because that's what God wants. Even some of you have moved to places in your transformation where you have done things that it's blown your mind because they were so godly. See, the Holy Spirit, when He empowers us, we keep going. When I am the empowerment, when you are the empowerment, we give up. We get tired. The Holy Spirit will empower us not to give up. Please, sometimes I think about giving up. So do you. If the Holy Spirit is empowering us, we get back in the game. Matter of fact, look what the Bible says. Look on the screen. This is one of my light verses. Galatians 6 or two verses, but 9 is what I memorized. It says, so let us not get tired. Now this is written to Christian people, okay? Not non-Christian, Christian people, believers. So let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap the harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now let me stop for a minute. This came to me whenever I was pastoring my first church after my theological training. And I was convinced those people aren't going to listen after a couple of years, and I'm just going to step back into the workforce and I'm just going to mentor people as a layman, not as a minister. Because people thought, well, ministers supposed to say these things. And God gave me this verse. And He says, you stay right where I have you. Because He called me to pastor, folks. Many times whenever I thought about giving up, I remember that calling. And this verse, He says, Mike, don't get tired of doing what is good. Because at the right time, you're going to reap a harvest, a blessing. Don't give up. And I said, okay, I'll keep going. Now look, look what he says in verse 10, because this is where I need to make sure I keep going. Therefore, therefore means based upon what I said in verse 9, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. That's true, but especially, who two folks? You know what? I'm ready to give up. I'm leaving this church. I'm ready to give up. I'm going to leave my Christian mate. I'm ready to give up. I'm going to disobey my Christian parents. I'm ready to give up. I'm going to start, stop meeting with my Christian friends. Don't give up. Whenever you have the opportunity, you should do good everyone. But you should make sure you don't give up in the family of God. And if this is that family, be involved. Don't give up. If this is the family, here's other families of gods. Find one. Don't find five or six to move around. Find one. And get involved. Look at the next blank on your worship handout. Don't pull away from service for Jesus. Stay involved. The best is yet to come. Your joy will come from serving Jesus. Somebody says, how do you get this in here? Because listen. Jesus died on the cross. Laid in the grave. Up to this point, other than the two guys from Emmaus, nobody's seen Him alive. And they saw Him alive because Jesus had a Bible study with them. First thing Jesus did after the resurrection is what, folks? Found two people and had a Bible study. And then the next thing we see, He finds a group of people and He has another Bible study. And they're hiding! They're hiding! They're afraid. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Peace be unto you. Now listen, what you are seeing now is real. Touch me, feel me, relate to me. This is to go out to all nations. You're going to be my witness. See, He's saying, don't pull away from service. Don't let your fear cause you to stay locked up. Don't let your uncertainty cause you to stay locked up. Don't let your limitations cause you to stay locked up. No, don't pull away. Stay involved. That's what He's telling them to do. Listen, folks, I'm not taking anything out of context. If I am, I invite you. Forget the hamburger and soda. Just say, I want to talk with you, Mike. And correct me. I can't be right in everything. I can be right maybe in 99% of things, but not everything. Thanks for laughing. I'm just kidding about that too. No humans right about Everything. But I'm always trying to put it in context. I'm trying to see, what are those people feeling that might be true to me now 2,000 years later? My, my, My world's different than theirs, and yet the fear and the uncertainty and the doubt, the emotions, those are the same. How does that apply today to me? Don't pull away. Stay involved in service. Look back Luke 24, verse 50. Let's pull this down. Then Jesus led them to Bethany. So now they've left Jerusalem. Okay? <laughs> Jesus is going to go to Galilee. Jesus is just going to travel all over the place. He's not even going to be seen in one place. He goes to Bethany. Just, just I want to say two, three miles outside of Jerusalem. And lifting His hands to heaven. Why His hands again? What's on His hands, folks? That's it. The scars. This is, this is me. The one you saw at the crucifixion. Lifting his hands to heaven. He blessed them. And I'm going to tell you, if you remember the scars, you'll receive blessing. Forget the scars and empower yourself. You're going to live a life, Christian life that's just going to be mundane. Ho-hum. Oh, he lifted his hands to heaven and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken away to heaven. I know this is quick in the book of Luke. Luke wasn't there. You can read a little bit more. Matthew 28, 16, John 21 tells us that Jesus went to Galilee and back before this happens. Acts 1, 3, Luke tells us that Jesus was on earth for 40 days before this happens. Luke just puts it real all together here. He's not saying there wasn't 40 days. He's not saying Jesus didn't go to Galilee but what Luke does tells us is what we learn from the others that Jesus did ascend and go back to be with the Father. And I need to remember that. See, because sometimes, sometimes I think I'm alone. Sometimes I think my marriage depends only on me, not Laura. Because see, she's not living up to my expectations. Remember that was two sermons ago? My disappointments. Sometimes I think my family will only succeed because of me. Because my children don't live up to my expectations and I experience disappointment. Sometimes I think maybe connection will only prosper because of me. Because maybe some people haven't lived up to my expectations and disappointed me. And sometimes I think I can never forgive someone Because of what they did, they didn't live up to my expectations. What they did was wrong. They disappointed me. And I get alone. And I'm going to tell you, I have to go back to Scripture, and I do. And it doesn't take me very long to realize, no, this marriage is both of us. Let's talk about faith. This this family is us in Christ. What does the Scripture say? This church is what God is doing. It's not me empowering it. What does God say in the Word? And those people who, who hurt me, who did what was wrong, what does God say my reaction should be? You see, we've got to remember, He went to heaven. He went back. The Bible says this. Look on the screen. First Peter. Many years later. What, 30 years later maybe? Peter wrote this. Peter who saw Jesus raised from the dead. Peter who was always impulsive and said, I wouldn't let you die. And yet when Jesus crucified, Peter's not even listed by being near the cross. Peter! Peter who who speaks the first sermon there in Jerusalem! Forty days after the crucifixion, he tells it, listen, this is, this is the witness. This isn't me making the story. Forty days after Jesus rose from the dead, he's went back to the Father. Peter stands up on a corner in Jerusalem with probably 10,000 people around him or out in the side of Jerusalem in a field, and he tells them, you crucified Jesus. And this Jesus was God's Messiah. Moses pointed that out. And he rose from the dead. Right there. Everybody could have said, that's the biggest lie we ever heard. Let's go look at his body. And 3,000 people that day believed in Jesus Christ. That's why I said there were probably ten to 15,000. Because you never get everybody to respond. This Peter, look what he writes. Now Christ. Look at this. It's so important you don't forget this. Now Christ. Don't remember it just because you remember. It. Sometimes meditate on what the Scripture says. Look at it in God's Word. Now Christ has gone to heaven. And He is seated in the place of honor next to God. That's why we say the right side of God, He's seated. Place of honor. And all the angels and authorities and powers accept His authority. That speaks volumes to me. In my marriage, I've got to accept Christ's authority. Oh, Laura, I know you're hard-headed, but I forgive you. No, my family and she will tell you, this is my phrase. Because see, I think I'm right in my marriage. I think I'm right in my family. Would I rather be right or have a relationship? Unless she's asking me to do something sinful or my kids ask me to do something sinful. I compromise my ideas often. I share them. We talk about it. But I want a relationship. I do that with the lead team. There's lead team people here. Often I've just trusted them after our discussion. I don't agree. Because I get the feeling that most of them so I give up my opinion and I trust them in relationship. See, that's what it is. That's what it, be- that's what it becomes with you. Somebody asked me this morning about doing something connection. And after you talked, I said, don't worry, you can't mess it up. A connection, we're a bunch of test tubes. We do something wrong, it breaks, we'll change. But we're not putting each other down. Because you didn't do it the way I wanted you to do it. That's all because of His authority. He who sits the right side of God. If He has authority over the angels and the powers, He has authority over me. I don't have authority over her. I don't have authority over my kids. I don't have authority over you. If she gives me any authority, it's true. The example that Jesus Christ gives, I live and love like Him and she honors that. If my children give me any authority, it's because I live in love like Christ and they honor that. And if you give me any authority as pastor, Scripture says you should, but it should be because of my example of living in love like Christ. Not because I'm perfect in marriage, perfect as a father, or perfect as a pastor. It's Because you recognize the authority of Jesus. You see, He's the one that makes the relationships. It's not because I'm a good guy to be married to. Listen, you grew up my family. Men decided everything. Men decided when all the families together, 60 of us, what we're going to watch on TV, sports. Who got in line first when we ate? Men. Even before the kids back then. Schedules around men. But with Christ's authority, He changed this Davis boy. You see, He brings transformation if you recognize the story. Now listen, listen. more important than that, you've got to recognize the story, is why is He in heaven? Why is He back with the Father? Look what the Bible says. John wrote this. Maybe 60 years, 50-60 years after Jesus had gone back to be with the Father to help the believers. John said this. My dear children, John is an older man, 85-90 years of age. Maybe almost 100. We're not certain exactly. And he looks at other Christians as being children. John, John mentored many of the early church fathers. Six, seven of the early church fathers. So we read their writings and we learn about John. Not in the Bible, but we learn from history by reading ancient writings. The witnesses. John said, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. He's writing to Christian people. Because Christian people still sin. And so he said, I'm writing you to help you so you won't be caught in your sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the One who is truly righteous. I want to say again, and I've said this different times through the book of Luke, Christians are to confess sin regularly. God forgive me of my sin. No, come on, guy. God forgive me for what I said to my wife the way I said it. Forgive me for the thought I had toward my husband. Forgive me for my disobedience in this behavior of hiding from my parents. Forgive me, God, for sneaking the view that I shouldn't be watching. Christians are to confess their sins. What he's trying to say is that you've got to remember, there's an advocate for you in heaven. Satan can get you feel pretty bad about your wrong choices. I know I've been there and I'm there sometimes. Satan can get you think, man, how come you can't say consistent? Satan can get you feel like you're blowing it. And what John is right of them, we need to remember, is that when you sin, there is an advocate that stands. And your heart is sorry. Your mind is sorry. And you're trying to communicate in a way you can. And sometimes you can't even communicate. And that's where the Spirit gets involved. Jesus stands and He says, Hey Father, that's one of your children. believes in me, the Messiah. And God forgives. Do you realize everything Hey, Christ is my advocate. He is your advocate. That's what He's doing in heaven. He's not playing a harp. He's not feeding pigs or cows or playing ball. Those, maybe we'll do that in heaven. He's our advocate. That's what we learned from the witnesses. They learned that from Christ Himself. Look at the last blank on your worship handout. It's a long one. Jesus died and rose from the dead for you so that you would know the joy that one day you will rise and be with Him in heaven. Now listen. It's more than just, oh boy, I could go to heaven. I'm sorry, sometimes that seems like all I hear Christians talk about. That's a byproduct of a relationship with Christ. You would know the joy that your sins will not separate you from Jesus. That's here and now. Look what I wrote. If you are a follower of Jesus, this will be the closest you will ever be to hell. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, please look at those words. This will be the closest you will ever be to heaven. Right now. So believe. Believe. Jesus is alive. And follow Him. Don't put it off. Right now. Turn your faith to God. Confess your sin. I'm sorry, God. And I believe Jesus is. My Lord. My Messiah. And I want Him to live in me. Look back at Luke 24, verse 52. So what happens? Jesus is going back to heaven. Now listen, what do we do now? He's in heaven. So they worshiped Him. Now listen, what does worship mean? And I know through through my 40-some years of pastoring, I've attended conferences, and everybody tries to teach us. I've attended conferences with people who are emotional and people who are theological. But if you look this word up in the Greek language, it simply means bowing one's self before. That's what they do. And how do they know how to do that? Do they follow what the high priest does? Do they follow what the priest do? No, those guys are still offering animal sacrifice. Those guys are still worshiping only on the seventh day of the, month, day of the week. No. They don't have to give animal sacrifices anymore. And they worship on the first day of the week. What, how do they bow down? They study the Scriptures. Remember, Jesus says you're going to become witnesses first in Jerusalem to all nations, but first in Jerusalem. It says, So they worship him and then return to Jerusalem filled with great joy because he says the Holy Spirit's going to be coming. Catch that, filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. They're just praising God. This is Luke's grand finale, folks. Don't miss it. They're filled with joy. They worship filled with joy and simply praising God. I love how Luke ends this Gospel. They experience the despair of death. They experienced the uncertainty of those three days. But they came into a relationship with Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He had a good old Bible study with them. Got into the Scriptures. Because if you don't get into the Scriptures, I want to tell you, it's your opinion or my opinion. See, some of you will discount Sometimes what a pastor says, because you say it's a pastor's opinion, and believe me, my words are... But if it is pulled out of the Scriptures, you need to look at what the Scriptures says. They had a good old Bible study, and they came to this conclusion from that relationship. They knew He was alive. And they listened to Him for four, almost 40 days, and then they saw Him go back to heaven. And how, did they, how does Luke say they ended? they ended up loving Jesus? Worshipping Jesus. Praising Jesus. Loving Jesus. Worshipping Jesus. Praising Jesus. And they knew joy. And in Luke's next letter, he says, okay, time to get out into the world. Loving Jesus. Worshipping Jesus. Praising Jesus. Teach those people. Love Jesus. Worship Jesus. Praise Jesus. How do you praise Him? Live and love like Him. Where? First in Jerusalem, and then to all nations. In your home, love Jesus. Worship Jesus. Praise Jesus. Where you work, love Jesus. Worship Jesus. Praise Jesus. And where you play and hang out, love Jesus. Worship Jesus. Praise Jesus. And then you will know joy in your home, at work, where you play. Let's bow together for prayer and then we're finished. Father, thank You. Thank You for this journey. (laughs) Thank You also, God, that we've come to the conclusion of this journey to move on to another one. But God, help us not to forget this grand finale. If we have truly met Jesus, if we've checked Him out, and we know it's true, that, Father, that it's going to be evident through the joy that we know He has given to us and that we share with others. Help us, God, to spread the joy. Again, to honor our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.